0: If you want to turn back in your Bibles or on your devices to Matthew chapter 18, that'll be helpful. And as you do that, let me pray for us. Father God, we come to you now and ask that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, not because we deserve it. Not because we have anything good or worthy to bring in and of ourselves. But we trust in your goodness. We trust in the God that is revealed in the pages of the Bible. A God who is good and loving and kind. Father, would we recognise that goodness this afternoon? Father, we ask it because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. We are a little section in our series in the book of Matthew. Looking at life in the family, life in the, the church, in God's family, as God's children, as Jesus instructs his disciples as to teach them what it should look like, what it should feel like to be part of his people. And so we reach verse 10 of Matthew 18 this week. You and read the little passage at the start. We'll read it again in a minute. What will it look like? To be part of God's family. I read an article this week on the BBC website about the experience of university students coming to university from a working class background. And they shared how they felt isolated and undervalued. That they felt as though they really ought not to be there. That they didn't deserve to be there despite having earned equal grades to their peers. And despite some of them coming through many more obstacles to arrive, they felt or they were made to feel as though they didn't fit in, as though they didn't belong. They were despised by their peers. You may know the story of the Titanic. The world's greatest, biggest ship that set out on its maiden voyage from this country to the United States and famously or infamously sunk in the middle of the Atlantic after hitting an iceberg. Over 1,500 people lost their lives aboard that ship. But it turns out that if you were aboard that ship and you were based in the first class accommodation, you were far more likely to survive than if you were in the second class. And if you are in the second class, you were more likely to survive than if you were in third class. Almost 60% of the passengers in first class survived. About 42% if you were in second class. And only about 26% of the passengers in third class managed to survive the tragedy. And it could be argued... That if you were a third class passenger on the Titanic, you were despised. As we rejoin the story of Jesus in Matthew 18 today, we find Jesus bringing a simple but pointed warning to his disciples about family life. In the father's family and he says this, do not despise the little ones. Let's read it again. From verse 10 of Matthew 18. Jesus says. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven. Always see the face of my father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep. And one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the ninety nine on the hills. And go to look for the one that wandered off. And if he finds it. Truly I tell you. He is happier about the one sheep. Than about the ninety nine that did not wander off. In the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If you're taking notes this afternoon, we've got three headings. A pointed warning, a pursued wanderer and a peaceful way forwards. But let's start with the the main point. Sometimes we come to the Bible and we have to puzzle our way to think what does this mean for us? What What is the God saying here but... This is not one of those times. Here's the takeaway. Do not despise one of these little ones. That's the application point. That's what Jesus says to his disciples and says to us. This is a pointed warning. Who is he talking to? And who is he talking about? And what does he mean? Well, he's talking to his disciples, his followers. If you look back up the page to verse 1 of Matthew 18 we hear that see the disciples coming to Jesus and starting this this discussion this interaction and this whole section seems to be a little bit like preseason training in sports where the coach gets the team together and the game's not yet begun the season's not yet started but he's equipping them he's training them he's saying this is how we're going to play this is going to be the way that we're going to attack. This is going to be the way that we're going to defend. Get it into your heads now. And so Jesus says to his disciples, here's what it's going to look like. But who is he talking about when he says, don't despise these one of these little ones? Little ones could mean children. It could mean the weak, the vulnerable. Look back up your page to verse 6. We read it last week as Fenton was preaching to us. Jesus gives us a definition. If anyone calls us one of these little ones, those who believe in me. Those who believe in Jesus are the little ones. What we would call Christians. Those who have recognised their need of Jesus. Have recognised that the only way to live well in this world is to follow Jesus. He is the way to life. He's the only way to life. And they have humbled themselves. They have recognised that the answer to the questions that this world throws at us is not found in here, but it's found in Jesus. And so they've said, I've got nothing. In and of myself, I'm a failure, I'm weak, but I'm casting myself on Jesus. They have become like children, dependent on Jesus to feed them, to clothe them, to to care for them, to give them a home and a family. These are the little ones. So Jesus says to his disciples about other disciples, other followers of Jesus, see that you do not despise them. What does that mean? What does do not despise them mean? See if you can help me out here. Okay. So if you're at home, you're allowed to shout this out. If you're in the building, you need to respond in a COVID-appropriate way. Okay. It's a three-word phrase that you might hear at the top of a tall building or if you're walking across one of those rope bridges that looks a little bit questionable and somebody's up there and they are utterly petrified and somebody stood alongside or maybe at the end of the bridge and they shout something to that person three words what do they shout Okay, on three let's see if anybody gets it one, two, three don't look down don't look down do not despise one of these little ones don't look down on other people don't condemn them. Don't disdain them. Don't think little or nothing of them. Now, as I look at you from my lofty position here on the stage, and to be quite frank, as a tall man, I look down on people most of my time. And, and it's great. But Jesus is not talking about physically looking down on people. He's talking about the attitudes of our heart. What do we think about People. And Jesus is here saying, do not have that moral superiority that looks at somebody else and says, I'm better than you. And it's something that maybe many of us recognize in ourselves. And Jesus says, this is not what it ought to be like in the church. In the family of God, there should not be this heart attitude that looks around, thinks, says, acts upon, I'm better than you. That thinks and says, you don't deserve to be here. That looks at people's wealth or status, their giftedness or apparent lack thereof. That looks at their smallness or their significance and thinks, wish you weren't here. We could do without you. You're holding us back. I think we've talked quite often here about the human tendency to overestimate our own worth. And to underestimate the worth and value of other people. And Jesus says, I want none of him. There ought not to be a hint of him amongst God's people. But Jesus is not blind to the reality of people either. Jesus doesn't imagine that once the church gets together, there won't be cause for people to be thinking, wow, there's a, there's a bit of an issue there. Jesus recognised that there's, in some sense there is a legitimate reasons for us to be looking around and thinking, oh, I'm not sure. Wow. They did that. That's not good. The church is a gathering of people. And people who fall and people who fail. People who doubt and people who drift. It happens in the home, it happens in the workplace and it happens in the church. And maybe in the workplace, a reasonable response to somebody who has drifted or fallen away or messed up might be to think yeah you're not getting promoted this year or maybe you're not getting your contract renewed and maybe in the home for a child that has been disobedient and not getting on board with the 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 way things ought to be the proper response would be to think yeah you are not getting a treat no sweets for you this week or this month or for the next 18 years but in the church in a church full of people who fall and fail who doubt and drift Jesus says do not look down on other people and there'll be reason because that's reality but beware of your heart attitude towards others because the temptation will be there to hate in our hearts or to sideline people in our life together as the church to think we'll just hide you out the way and so Jesus gives this pointed warning but he doesn't just say do this or in this case don't do this. He motivates his disciples by telling a story. And so our second point is a pursued wonderer. And so verse 12, Jesus says, what do you think? You can imagine him sitting the disciples down and he's, he's bringing them in. Come on, engage with this. What do you think about this? A man owns a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders away. And as we're sat around at the campfire listening to the story, we can maybe fill in the details. Well, we can imagine that. Maybe he's seen some grass that's a little bit greener, a little bit more luscious further away. Maybe two of the sheep got in a fight, and this one just came off second best, and so he's, he's kind of wandered away. He's a bit afraid, and he's gone off with his tail between his legs. says one sheep has wandered it's not where it ought to be and Jesus says will the owner not leave the 99 and look for the one and it seems as we read this that Jesus is envisaging all the disciples sat around stroking their beards going yes of course of course he will of course he'll go after the one but I want to go no he won't This is simple economics. He's got a hundred sheep. One wandering off. Not a problem. Building a margin for that. We We can lose one. It's fine. Keep the 99 safe. Don't go chasing off after the one and leaving the 99. This is nuts. This is bad business, Jesus. It's economic madness. Cut your losses, Mr. Owner. Stick with the 99. It's, the one, it's 1%. And let's be honest, it's the 1% that's wandered off. It's probably not the brightest. It's probably not the best. Building some margin. Keep the 99 safe. I think that's how we're supposed to react to Jesus telling this story. Going, not. Yeah, of course, Jesus, this is how it plays out. We're supposed to go... That's not how I do it. It doesn't make sense. But Jesus says he does. He goes and he looks and he searches for the wanderer. He pursues the one who has left. And if he finds it, Jesus says, he will be happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that stayed where they were supposed to. The 99 who never left. Who've done exactly what the sheep are supposed to do. The secure investment, if you will. And Jesus says, he's going. He's going after the one. He's going to pursue the wanderer. He's going to delve for the drifter. And I think we're supposed to be going, this is not normal. This is not natural. I think you could argue convincingly that it's not sensible. But Jesus says, this is the work of heaven. This is the way of the King of heaven. This is the work and way of the Father. Because look how he surrounds the parable. You might have noticed we skipped over the second part of verse 10. But both at the start and the end of this little story that Jesus says, he mentions the Father. So verse 10, for I tell you that their angels in heaven, the, the little ones, always see the face of my Father in heaven. Jesus says, this is about my Father. And this is a bit of a theme that we've been noticing in these previous verses in Matthew 17 and 18. Jesus is the Son of the Father in heaven. He has come from God and he is bringing people into relationship with his Father. And so it's Jesus' father. But also these people have angels in heaven with the father. Now, commentators don't agree what this reference to angels means. They don't agree because they don't understand it. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you I know exactly what's going on. But at the very least, this verse backs up what Fenton was saying to us last week about belonging. That these little ones who believe in Jesus belong to the Father. And so this might be talking about guardian angels. That people have angels who are in heaven with God for us, working for us in some way. But the Bible doesn't talk much about us having angels talks somewhere in in daniel about nations having angels revelation talks briefly about churches having angels but this is pretty much it when it comes to people having angels so that's not the main thrust here the point is is that there is in some way representation in heaven before god for these little ones these believers And so Jesus says, Their angels are ever before my Father. And he's saying, It's my Father and it's their Father. And then at the end of the parable, verse 14, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So he's both the Father of the little ones, he's the Father of Jesus, and he's the Father of the disciples. The Father in heaven, the God of the universe, no less, is like this sheep owner who so values his sheep he will pursue them even when they are wayward. Even when they have willfully, happily, absent mindedly perhaps walked away from him and his care and his provision. One sheep, one out of a hundred, one. Stupid, insignificant little sheep. God the Father sees and cares and pursues them in their waywardness. A famous old theologian called Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. God is the sheep owner in the parable. God is the great shepherd. So earlier Jody read to us from Ezekiel chapter 34. A passage where God condemns the leaders of his people Israel. Because they have been bad shepherds. They have used and abused and plundered the people that they were supposed to be loving and caring for and leading. And so God brings his condemnation on them. But did you notice as we read that? Let me turn back to it now. What God says. It's not just a a condemnation. But in verse 11 God says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. And then in verse 16 he says. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. This is who God reveals himself to be. God is the great shepherd who searches out the lost. And brings back the stray. As ever when we come to the Bible. God is revealing who he is to us. God exposes who we are. Our tendencies, our sin, the state of our hearts, but he reveals who he, who he is. and he reveals his great plan of salvation and transformation. And we know that, G- that God does this ultimately through Jesus. And Ezekiel 34 points forward to the coming of Jesus. He may have caught it as Jody read. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. And this was written after David had lived. It's pointing to David's son, who God had promised, who would come and rule. And he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, or David's son, or to give him his New Testament name, Jesus. Jesus will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is who God is. A God who seeks out the lost and brings home the wayward. And he does it through Jesus. Jesus, the son of man who came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, who does not despise the lowly, But lowers himself. So that they might be lifted up. Jesus who sees the weak. And failing. And sinful humanity. And says I love them. And I will give myself for them. And Jesus ultimately does that through the cross. Dying the death that we deserve. So that we might have Life, eternal life that was his and is his and is now ours if we believe in him. This is who God is a God who pursues the wayward. And it's the same God. The same God who acted in Christ, who says to us this afternoon, come back home. He continues to act in compassion and in grace and mercy towards the way. Sometimes as Christians we can believe that God is a God of grace. A God who saves sinners. But we can struggle to believe that God would still be gracious and merciful and loving towards us who have been saved and then have walked away. And then have drifted, whose hearts have grown cold. Why would God love me, who after I've been saved have failed him so badly? This parable that Jesus tells, you may, it might be familiar to you because it's told in another gospel account. Another story of Jesus in the Bible, in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 19. And there, as Jesus tells the story, he's focusing on those that are, are lost. He's almost talking about a first time coming to God. So this is slightly different use, words used about the sheep and maybe we can read that and think, "There, yeah, that's exactly what God, God is like. He saves those who are lost. But we struggle to believe that God would still be so merciful to those who have been saved and have now wondered. Here is the emphasis of these verses in Matthew chapter 18. God is the same God. God is merciful and kind and comes seeking for those who have drifted. So, this is a word now to, to those of us who have strayed. Those of us who, if only other people knew, have cold hearts towards God. Those of us who are utterly prayerless. Those of us who might be present in church but, but, but in our inward lives are, are completely shut off from God. Those of us who have chosen not to trust in God's goodness and we've gone away from God's laws. In terms of our finances, in terms of our relationships, in terms of our sexuality. Those of us who have been physically present but emotionally absent from God and his people. This is what. God is like, he is a sheep owner who goes out searching, leaves the 99 and comes out for the one. And says, come back home. You are welcome. And if you come back home, God will rejoice. God will be happy. It will not be begrudging, it will be joyful. So maybe that's a word to you this afternoon. Come back home. God, God is not only able. But he's willing. And desperate that you do. But let's go back. To those disciples. Listening to this message. As we think about our third point. A peaceful way forwards. As Jesus speaks to these Men gathered around, maybe the women were there too. These people who were going to make up the early church after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. You see, the early church is going to face all sorts of wonders. Here are some of the things that are described or alluded to in the pages of the Bible describing the early church. The very first church. Selfishness. Disunity, people who have given up on meeting with the rest of the church, sexual sin, failure, cowardice, lukewarm Christians who are only half in and kind of half out. All of these situations are going to arise and there is going to be countless opportunities for for Christians and for these disciples to look on other people and think, I am better than you we can do without people like you. I may, be, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not like you. So many opportunities for the disciples to despise, to look down. Will they treat those who fall and stumble as less than? Of course, the New Testament lists These very disciples as those who will wander and stray. All of them will flee when the mob turns up to arrest Jesus. Peter, of course, will deny Christ three times. Only John is found at the foot of the cross as Jesus is crucified. Will he later look at Peter and always think, yeah, but Peter... Just He shouldn't be here. As Peter stands up in the early church and becomes the de facto leader. Just, the temptation will be there for John to think. You should not be up there mate. I know what you did. I know you weren't there. And so Jesus says to them. Don't look down. It's not that there won't be reasons to. He's saying we must not. They must not, and the we must not. Will we pursue peace? Will we walk in love towards one another? Will we imitate the sheep owner, our Father God, in pursuing those who have wandered? Let me take a a little leaf out of Fenton's playbook from last week and ask you some questions. Who have you treated poorly because they struggle with a sin that you don't? Who have you not spoken to because you think that you're better than them? Who has walked away from you or from our church Because they felt isolated and unwelcome. How have we responded? Who would be shocked to see the disparity between how we talk to them and how we talk about them? Who would be shocked to see the difference between how we talk about them and what we think about them? And maybe at this point, you're thinking, but Ben, but Ben, people have sinned. People have done X, Y, Z. And I don't want to affirm them in their sinful choices. And I can hear you saying it because I can hear me saying it. We're going to think more next week about dealing with sin in the church. Jesus preempts our question. But this is about our hearts. Do we love one another? Do we pursue those who have wondered and stumbled? Or are we content for them to slowly slide out? of the church will we refuse the temptation to move ourselves up in some sort of social hierarchy will we take comfort that we're not as bad as other people I entitle this point a peaceful way forwards because it will be truly a peaceful church a restful church When we don't look down on one another. Even in the light of sin and failure and weakness and doubt, the church ought to be a place of belonging, of welcome, a place where we can fail and know that people will not turn their backs on us. To be a home where it's okay to learn and to grow. Where it's okay not to be perfect straight away. A place where it's okay to not be okay. Maybe some of those questions have set off in our hearts. Particular people, particular behaviours of ours. The Bible calls us to repent. To turn from our sin. And to follow Jesus. Maybe even this afternoon some of us just need to do to turn to God to confess maybe as a result of this we need to turn to people and to ask for forgiveness to despise or look down on others whom God loves and whom he has called and chosen and pursued if we look down on them we set ourselves against Our Father. Listen again to verse 14. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If we are willing, because we see a particular sin as too bad or beyond the pale, or because we see a particular type of people, their backgrounds, their family situation, whatever it is, and we think in our hearts that they're not worthy, we set ourselves against God. So let us pursue and love the wanderer. And consequently, we will join in our Father's happiness if and when they return, as they are recovered to God. And to his people. Let's pray. Father. We're so quick to judge. We're so quick to forget our own faults and flaws. And we're so quick to see faults and flaws in other people. Lord forgive us for where we have. Where we have given ourselves an ego boost. At the expense of others. Forgive us for where we have looked down on other people. As though. As though there was anything. That was truly worthy or special in us. Outside of Jesus. Father help us to remember. Lord that. We have worth. Worth. Because you have placed worth on us. You have valued us despite. Despite ourselves. Father help us to see. Your people. Whom you have loved and pursued. Father let us be a church. Lord where wanderers are welcomed back. And they know Lord that they are loved. Father let us be a church where people can grow. Father, forgive us our sin because of Jesus. And continue to work in as we pray. Amen.